This podcast is a talk given by Victoria Henshaw from the University of Sheffield. She's a lecturer in urban design and planning, but her specialism is smell, and the role that smell plays in our experience of cities. She's going to give us an overview of how we live and navigate in places using our nose, and how cities can be mapped by aroma, and how architects and planners might use a consideration of this in their work. Okay, urban smellscapes. This is kind of my specialist field. And explore, And when we, when we talk about urban smellscapes, effectively we're talking about smellscapes as being the, the equivalent, the smell equivalent of a landscape. So we're thinking about kind of all the smells that make up the, you know, the various components of the smell environment. Um, I'm particularly interested in the outdoor environment, um, but have done work on the indoor environment as well. But it's the outdoor environment, particularly city design, that I focus on. Um, now, in terms of kind of where, where I come from in all this, um, for years I worked as a built environment professional. I used to manage town and city centres. I used to kind of build big construction schemes. So it was all very different from kind of the smell world. Um, but when I started my PhD on cities at the University of Salford, I was based by a complete fluke within an acoustics department. And they were doing lots of really fascinating work exploring the role that sound can play in our environmental experience and memory. And it really got me thinking about smell, you know. And there's, you know, there's, there are some good books out there, you know, there's kind of Jim Drobnik's Smell Culture Reader, which some of you might have seen, and there's Constance Classen and, and Hauser, the Aroma. Um, some interesting, really interesting books about smell um, that pick out little bits about cities, but really haven't focused specifically on that relationship between smell, the smells of cities and the role that the smells of cities play in our city experience and memories. So it's that that I kind of focus in on. And here's kind of some examples of different city smells I've detected over the years. Um, and I'll talk to you about all of those in a bit more detail. Okay, now this um, photograph was taken by a researcher, Jamie Furness, at the University of Oxford. In his research with the Zabaline community in Cairo, which some of you might have seen some of the TV documentaries that were on a few years ago. Zabaline means um, garbage collector. Um, in, and so effectively the Zabaline community, there are five of these communities dotted around the centre of Cairo and these communities are the Christian communities um, and what they do is they sort the waste so effectively this little girl, you may just be able to make her out here she lives amongst the rubbish and this is piled up, you know, five storeys high and I kind of watched one of these documentaries and really started to think about how the smell environment there, you can imagine, you know, how strong that would be, particularly with all that heat as well. And then you think about, you know, that these are, these are neighbourhoods that are closely proximate to some of these kind of cosmopolitan city areas. And can you imagine, you know, if the wind blows in a certain direction, the wind move, moves that smell from that environment into another, and you kind of, you, it's not what you'd expect. Um, so it's also thinking about how those smell environments and what we expect in some environments and what they actually smell like. And also, why is it that people can live like this? You know, and it's those issues that we were talking about out in the smell walk that, you know, we're not, we're not born with any kind of particular smell preferences. We're kind of, we're learning them and what we're, what we're used to, what we're adapted to, these all kind of play a role. Okay, now... 
this is why I do the smell walks. Um, I think, as I said right at the start, I think one of the things with smell is that out of necessity, we don't consciously recognise all those smells that we're detecting as we walk down the street. Um, usually we're smelling so many different things that if we were actually thinking about all those smells, we'd have very little space left in our mind to be doing other things. So I don't kind of advocate, you know, that we should be smelling everything all the time and thinking about that. Although that would be brilliant, <laughs> it actually it's important for us that we can switch off. Um, so one of the things I like to do with the smell watch is really get people to focus in on the smell so we can start to realise that the smells are there. Often it's not until we consciously recognise them. So our bodies, if we detect something particularly strange that might be a danger to us, then we might register it. Um, but actually there are lots of smells we are detecting, but we're not kind of thinking about them. So they are there. Um, but clearly there are issues because people smell things in different ways. So there's those cultural differences that we've already talked about. But there are things like, you know, women being generally better smellers than men. So in terms of, you know, it's at certain ages, but women generally have a better sense of smell, both in kind of their ability to identify different smells, but in terms of what they're detecting as well. But genetics plays, plays a role as well. And I've got particularly, this is one of my favourite smells here, not in terms of liking it, but because it's fascinating. Um, <coughs> now, I've only got one little pot of this. It's not one that I can dip anything into, I'm afraid, because it's a tiny little bit. It's androsterone, or androsterone as it's sometimes known. Um, has anyone smelt this before? Brilliant. Yeah, what did you think? Um, I quite liked it, but it wasn't as strong as I thought it would be, because mm -hmm. it kind of, you smell it and then it disappears and then it comes back again. So well, androstenone, it all depends on your genes as to whether you can smell this or not. So you'll kind of learn about your own genetic makeup by detecting it. Um, everyone will be able to detect um, kind of an alcoholic smell within it because it's diluted within that. Um, so you may be able to detect the alcohol, it doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're detecting the smell. Um, the smell is known as the caveman odour, the scientists call it, well, call it this caveman odour, it's a strong body odour, it's a hormone. Um, now, 60% of people can smell it, 40% of people can't, roughly. Of those that can smell it, 90% of people smell body odour in, you know, some of them really strongly, some kind of very much watered down. 10% of people smell flowers, so it's very peculiar, this smell. So I'll pass this around. What will be interesting, if any of you get it really strongly, we might have to put the lid on. Um, so if you do kind of get it at the back of the room and you think that's gross, just shout and we'll, uh, we can put the lid back on. Uh, £100. So this tiny little... And there's a, there's a pipette within that and the smell is just hooked within there. I used to borrow my zoology professor's... Um, his samples, but eventually I saved up and bought my own, which is why there's only one. Where do they get it from? It's a, it's hormone. It's it's a hormone. So it's particularly strong in men's body odor. Um, but when I'm thinking about environments, uh, what I think is particularly fascinating about this is that basically any products from human beings. So if you think of sewage works, yeah. if you can smell this, you know what influence is that having on the people who live next to the, the sewage or wastewater works, as compared to the people that aren't. You know, there's some interesting questions there for me when I get into my smell geeky world. <laughs> so I'll pass this around. Okay. I'll be interested. So if there's any cavemen. People who can smell it, smell it strongly, shout out.
So you must be quite attracted to uh... Yeah, I just I like filth. <laughs> okay, so why is it important to think about smell? Now clearly many of you are smell enthusiasts, and that's brilliant for me to be amongst fellow smell enthusiasts. Often I'm not. Often I'm surrounded by town planners, engineers, architects who haven't really thought about smell in any great detail before. Um, so why are urban smellscapes important? Well, you know, if we think about, say, this quote from the National, and I, I'm not going to kind of inundate you with quotes in here, but I think this one's particularly useful. And when you think about, you know, we use all our senses to experience our surroundings, clearly. Um, we smell the new mown grass, hear the babbling brook, feel the gentle breeze on our cheek and see the dappled sunlight through the trees. Environments which appeal to only one sense and impoverish others are themselves impoverished. And I think this is one of the things when we think about cities, that often city streets have kind of, in some ways, been sterilised. And I think we sometimes forget and try to turn our back on the fact that we are kind of living, breathing flesh. You know, we are, essentially, we have the animal within us. And we've kind of for so long tried to deny that fact that we've cleansed many of the smells away. And actually, we've got this increased detachment with environments as well. So often, you know, things like men mental health issues, we were, we were talking about restorative environments. Part of that is kind of that detachment we experience because we're not fulfilling things like our sense of smell to kind of the level that would have biologically been something we'd have done in the past. So in terms of when we think about cities, I think there is this issue of kind of also it's, it's almost self-perpetuating as well, this, this thing about we're not used to smells, we're not used to strong smells, we find them repulsive. Um, and actually there's a question of is that because we've sterilised our environment so much that we're not used to smelling things that are a bit different or a bit exciting or, you know, and because of that when we smell them we think, oh my God, so it gets worse and worse and worse. So it's kind of thinking about that. And what I was saying um, before our caveman experience occurred at the back is that when people lose their sense of smell, they can actually be quite <coughs> depressed as a result. And this has been found with when you lose your sense of hearing and when you lose your sense of smell, that you can feel that you're very much detached from the world. Um, whereas with the sense of sight, vision, you don't get that same sort of depression, that same sort of detachment. <coughs> Which is quite strange for us. We're such a visual society. You'd think that maybe we'd be, you know, that'd be the one that would really make us depressed. In terms of our society, and it's really true of most Western societies, we don't really appreciate what the sense of smell can offer us. And particularly when we think about towns and cities out there, and some of the smells that we detected to that today, some of them we liked, some of them we didn't like. And we tend to, in cities, just try and get rid of smells in many cases. Um, the Japanese Minister for the Environment asked people right across Japan to start identifying the smells in the environment that they really liked. And they identified this list of kind of 100 sites of good fragrance. Now, some of these are some of those smells we detected to this evening. So, you know, some of them are smells of food particular kind of local delicacies in certain cities, some of them are particular vegetation or seawater or those kinds of things that you would imagine, but some of them are actually, say, the smell of a row of bookshops in a street in Tokyo. Um, so there are particular smells that we do associate with parts of the city, urban smells, that actually can be thought of as sites of good fragrance. Um, now, you know, what sort of smells do you guys associate with the smell of the city? You know, what kind of smells would you if think of as city smells? Car fumes? Car fumes, yeah. 
Coffee shops. Metallic smells like steel and glass because there's more steel and glass buildings. Yeah, and also pollution can have that metallic level to it as well, can't it? Pigeon smells in outside tube stations. Yeah. Yeah. You know, are people, are the people out there that are kind of managing our environments, are they actually trying to get rid of all the smells? Is that really what's happening? Um, and this is something I've asked architects and urban designers, and I've taken them on smell walks and said, okay, you know, what sort of factors do you think are influencing the smell environment? And they talk about those in situ and they say, oh, before we go for the walk, they'll say, oh, well, maybe if I wanted to influence the smell environment, I could wheel a coffee cart into the environment. But actually, when we stood in a place, I'll say to them, what sort of factors are influencing your smell experience? And there's all sorts of things that come out of there. So one of the things is separation, the separation of smells. So just as we saw Truman Brewery gone, that would have been kind of a very strong smell dominating the smellscape in this area a few years ago and within memorable <coughs> history. But actually what happens is we see those kind of those smelly industries have been moved outside through kind of zoning activities. Well, it also occurs with things like smoking, you know, I mean this was taken in Chicago, you know, no smoking within 15 feet of building entrances. The separation of certain sort of activities from certain places is one way that we organise our kind of smell environment in the city. Ventilation systems, we saw many of these. And actually, I'm surprised we didn't get more ventilation smells to this evening. I would have expected more, particularly this time, and as you said at the weekend, I'm sure we'll be getting more. Public toilets, urinals, this is the Eurolift. Has anyone ever seen these? They pop out of the floor. <laughs> um, to avoid kind of street urination and this kind of drink culture, the separation through time as well. Certain smells we expect at some times and don't expect at others. So we'd be more tolerant of the smells of beer during the evening, for example, than we would be in the morning because we're kind of associated with that time. The deodorisation of our environments as well. Now the materials that we detected and had a good sniff at today, many of those didn't really have a strong smell, but some of those kind of historical materials, the wood would have had much stronger smells. And our cities traditionally were really smelly places 100 and 150 years ago. You know, many of the kind of glass is meant to be washed away. And those kind of bins and waste... <coughs> removal, um, again, that we witnessed this evening is one of the things that's kind of really making sure that we're clearing those smells out of the city. This was taken in grass in the south of France, perfume kind of production centre of the world where most of this jasmine for the Chanel number no. five is grown. Um, they actually have a great smell environment, although according to many of the blogs, they say, oh, it's, it's, it smells horrible. You know, but I actually had a great smell experience when I was there. But they have so many rules about what you can and can't do. They have more dog waste bins than anywhere I've ever been to before. So as well as kind of encouraging the growth of the flowers, and you know, they've got lots of sculptures about the flowers, even a big bottle of Chanel Number no. 5 on the traffic island in the middle of the, uh, in front of the Palais de Congress. Um, they also are managing the waste as well and preventing people from picking the flowers and things like that. And then there's the mask in that kind of overlaying of smells we detected this evening, you know, the smells of the pollution overlaying subtler smells, breaking down the smells of, say, flowers as they travel through the air. And cigarette smoke in its own little way is kind of masking smells as well. But, you know, where it gets really interesting, I think, is kind of the scenting side of it. Thinking, you know, we're seeing this, we're seeing something of a renaissance in the scenting world with places like 
Thorpe Park here in the UK, which is, um, it actually got people to give their samples of urine for a competition. They wanted to find the country's smelliest urine so they could <laughs> splash it all over um, the new Saw 4 ride. So the Saw horror oh, film. Oh, that's, that's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. And they got it and they splashed it all over and people paid to go on those rides. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting to, and it magnifies the experience of horror. Um, so there are all sorts of examples. You'll have witnessed many examples of scenting I'm sure in city streets but you know in the Triangle in Manchester, a cloud of um, coffee scent was released to mark the opening of a new bar there. Uh, we've got Lessons de Meistenbrook, um, which was capturing kind of the essence of the smell of this particular little village in the Netherlands, um, where people kept moving away from. So they get, everybody moved away, they gave them a little vial of the smell, and they said, take it with you and smell it and let other people smell it. And tried to attract people back in. We've got Vanilla Ice up on the Eiffel Tower. And they're particularly interesting, in London you have these smell adverts, I'm sure some of you will have experienced them in bus stops, there's certain ones across the country and in London they have probably about three of them. Uh, this was in South, San Francisco, it was a cookies and milk um, advertising campaign. So it was advertising milk but they had the smell of cookies released. And within 24 hours of this being released, the whole thing was torn down because politically people said, or environmental sensitivities, lots of people are going to be allergic and it's going to make homeless people hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but here in the UK we don't seem to have those same kinds of political responses to smell, but it's interesting to, to think about how that's going to play out over the years. There's an example of the McCain's one that I took that photograph last February in, um, in London, just down the road actually. Here's a perfume fountain in grass. <laughs> And the Jasmine Festival in Grass, again, they kind of have these pipes, the network of pipes up in the sky, and they release the scents that kind of cover um, whole streets in the cities. So this kind of scenting does take place. And clearly we're kind of, as well as people talking about landscapes in terms of the way a city street looks when it's filled with those high street brands, you also get that with smell as well. And that kind of can, can hide some of those local smells, fueled by consumption, clearly. So, just whizzing through these final bits, thinking about what, you know, how do we make um, smells visible? How do we make people, you know, actually think about them a bit more? Part of parcel of that is actually doing things like the smell walks and trying to find out what smells people are detecting. But lots of people have made efforts at kind of mapping smells, you know, to make it kind of, to make us think about them in a bit more detail. Here's some that some of my students have done, and Rush Holmes Curry Mile. This is Kate McLean's work. I don't know if any of you have seen her work. She's actually <coughs> the, art, the artwork I've got on the front cover of my book, which later on I've got a couple of copies so you can have a, a flick through those as well. Um, but she actually maps the way that cities, um, that smells move around cities. Um, it's got some particularly fascinating stuff if anyone's interested in that. And this is the online smell map, which anyone can access. Um, and all the smells that you've collected today and written down will be uploading to those. Okay. So just to finish on kind of what we're thinking about, in terms of my work, I try to move from that sort of that theory side to thinking about how can designers actually start to design smell environments? How can urban designers and architects and city planners start to proactively consider smell within what they're doing? 
And one of the ways I've tried to think about this is how do we structure the invisible? How do we structure thinking? Um, and when you think about a perfume, when we think about those kind of the top notes, the heart notes, and the bass notes, this is what I very much tried to think about the smellscape as, the city smellscape. So when we think about kind of the macro level smellscape, when you step off a plane, often you'll kind of, there's just something in there, the air is, you know. This in particular was based on Grenoble, I spent a month there in January. And actually, you know, the peatiness of the mountains, the waterways, there's kind of, there's also kind of pungent chemically smells in there as well. And there's no escaping those, no matter where you are in the city. So that's kind of the base note, the, the base note, um, macro level smellscape. Um, then you get kind of those neighbourhood ones, which might be around, say, Truman's Brewery, 30, 40 years ago. And then you get those kind of macro-level smellscapes. As you walk up the, kind of the, the alleyway here, you're getting one smell after another, and it's kind of step by step by step, those immediate smells. And so it's trying to you know, think about that as designers, thinking about smell marks. When we think about landmarks, notable things we can look at um, that may help us identify and navigate our way around the city. The same is true with smell. I've done walks with people who have um, different visual disabilities, and often smell is one of the things that's used to navigate around the city. And actually, we all do that anyway. You know, there are many areas in cities that if you were kind of blindfolded, you'd know what city you were in. You'd know where you were in that city because of the particular smell. And here are just whizzing through some final examples. Of <coughs> this is Relish in Sheffield, a famous one. Um, in Seattle, the cookie factory, Fortune Cookie Factory, was a really kind of strong, pungent smell. La Boquera market, um, very different from this, the market that we've been to today um, and very strong smelling. And of course, <laughs> this beautiful <laughs> shop, um, which has its own distinct localised smellscape within this particular area. I'll just skip through that one. So effectively, all sorts of things like how the air moves are influencing our smell environment, you know, how enclosed are areas, um, different things like, you know, the, the different shapes, not only in furniture, but also the shapes in terms of the built environment and moving air around or concentrating in a particular area as well. The activities clearly are important, um, whether it's kind of cultural areas, uh, cultural stores, um, markets, things like that. And of course, those things that we've talked about with pollution, Drains, we've got the drain smells this evening, and depending on the topography, that can influence how that works, um, whether it smells are particularly concentrated in areas. And then I also talked to you about those places, the stresses and st places we go to to uh, kind of ease the stresses and strains of city life. I'm going to skip through those and just show you these final things which are fascinating. There were the, I attended this kind of very geeky term, but the Digital Olfaction Society was in Berlin this year, and I just could not resist it because they had kind of smell gadge. <laughs> it was great. Now, they, these, um, in, this Japanese university has developed this particular gadget where they fire the smoke th rings through the air. Um, so it's not just releasing a smell that people could like or not like. It's actually targeting you as you're walking down the street. It fires it. calculates when you're going to arrive there wow. and fires it. And this is kind of, this is all coming our way. This is all going to happen in city streets near you at some point soon in the future. And they can even direct where the smell goes by firing another one at it at a different speed. So it's all sophisticated stuff. And of course, some of you will have read about this. The chat puff, I don't know why it's called that, this young entrepreneur in Japan brought these things around. These, you know, plug into your phone, there's one little smell 
cartoon. And what it does is really, you know, if someone sends you a text that can actually release it instead of playing a tune that's tailored to that particular person, it can release the smell. Or, you know, you can wake up with the smell of coffee in the morning, all those kinds of things. So increasingly we're going to see people walking around as well as listening to their own music, you know, people can have their own little smellscape that they're carrying around with them as well. It's just thinking about kind of the ethics of smell design as well, because sometimes people question smell design, you know, should we be designing with scents? Particularly when you think of those, those kind of San Francisco examples where they're saying environmental sensitivities, are people going to be allergic? And, you know, I'm very interested in thinking about why do they think of smells different? Why is it any different from, you know, designing a store to encourage people to buy? Or, you know, so I'll be interested in talking to you later on um, about what, you, what your views are on that. Okay, and this final slide is just to, it's kind of, it's always my final point, which is really important when we're thinking about designing environments, is that um, what one person really likes, another person really dislikes. And this is a parade in um, Paris, in the centre of Paris every year. And there's the uh, camphor is being burnt along here. And, you know, a lot of people really like this smell. But you see this French woman at the front here. She really is finding this quite disgusting. So it's always important for us to remember, in all sorts of smell design, that people are going to respond in different ways. There you go. <laughs>